0: Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Steven Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. A little later in the show, we are going to have Aaron Radish, a history professor at Wayne State University who specializes in Soviet and Russian history, into the studio. We're going to talk about Russia, the latest news about Russia's attempts to interfere in the 2016 presidential campaign. Uh, what do they mean? What have, What do they tell us that we didn't know before and what do we expect might be coming next in this ongoing saga? Aaron Reddish is one of this area's best experts on Russian and Soviet uh, history, uh, if not one of the best in the nation, and. He will be here to help us understand, make sense of all of those things. Uh, Up first, though, I want to say a few words about what happened yesterday in Washington. Apparently, the Republican majority in the Senate has fallen short of its attempts to pass a major health care overhaul. This is after weeks of debate and after... The House of Representatives passed a really draconian overhaul of our health care system. This probably ends the current debate about what to do about the collapse of the Affordable Care Act or the collapse of parts of the Affordable Care Act. But here's an idea that we all ought to sort of keep in our minds going forward and maybe share not just with each other but with our elected representatives. What we've seen in the last seven years are two entirely partisan efforts to overhaul, overhaul the health care system. Republicans refused to participate in President Barack Obama's attempts to come up with the Affordable Care Act, wouldn't even offer anything uh, that they thought should be part of it, uh, wouldn't participate in the debate over it, just said we don't like this bill and not a single one of them voted for it. At the same time, not a single Democrat was participating in what the Congress is doing today. The majority Republican Congress has come up with its own way of overhauling the health care system. Is that really the way to come up with the best ideas for health care? Is that the best idea, uh, the way to come up with the best ideas for patients or doctors or insurance companies or any of the various constituencies who... Rely on stability and certainty in healthcare. Going forward, how come we can't get a few Republicans and a few Democrats together to talk about the best ideas overall for reforming healthcare? Maybe that sounds a little Pollyannish, but it used to work that way in Washington. Not that long ago, we would come up with bipartisan measures to try to figure out how to solve difficult problems. Part of the reason that that doesn't happen now is because we sit back and allow it to happen in another way. We don't get after our representatives to say, compromise, talk to the other side, think about the ideas that they have that make some sense, and let's come up with a solution together. I think this is an opportunity, maybe better than any that I've seen recently, for the public, for us to decide to push our representatives to behave that way instead of this very strange and bitterly partisan atmosphere. I think we can pick up the phones. We can pick up a pen and write letters. We can sit at a keyboard and email, and maybe we end up in a space that's just a little different from the one we're in. It's just an idea. This morning, it was the thing that came to me almost immediately yesterday, last night, late last night, when I saw the news out of Washington. And of course, here on Detroit Today, we will continue to discuss this issue. We will continue to follow what happens uh, in Congress uh, around this issue, and we'll continue to have folks in who help inform that discussion. But think about the opportunities that we have right now to maybe make a big difference. Okay, Uh, up first today, Detroit Mayor Mike Duggan often touts his efforts to remove blighted buildings as something that has improved neighborhoods during his first term. That program has largely targeted abandoned homes. But what about commercial properties? What's happening with the thousands of empty businesses that dot the city? According to Crane's Detroit Business, demolitions of those properties has actually slowed over the last 18 months. What does that mean for neighborhoods? Is there any sign that commercial blight is going to become a focus for demolition programs? And what does it mean for average Detroiters' relationship with their commercial neighbors? If you live in the city of Detroit, anywhere outside of the central business district, you can see this issue up and down the commercial corridors. Think about what Livernois looks like. Think about what Wyoming looks like. Think about what Mac might look like. Over on the east side, you can see lots of former businesses that are now just empty shells. Very similar to the way that you can drive up and down residential streets and see former homes that are blighting the block. We want to start today talking about this issue of commercial blight. Uh, and here to help us frame that is Chad Livengood. He's a reporter at Crane's Detroit Business and author of the story about commercial blight. Chad, welcome to Detroit today.
1: Thanks for having me, Stephen. Yeah. Uh,
0: so I love the story about how you came to do this story. <laughs> so I want you to tell that first, and I think it's 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 interesting because it's the kind of thing that if you live in the city and drive around, it's the kind of thing that happens to all of us. Uh, we notice things uh, that that don't seem to add up in right. in a certain way.
1: Yeah. Well, when I started at Cranes in January. I went out to to the Packard plant for a story and. On my way down Mount Elliott Street, I noticed this big pile of rubble uh, from a burned down building. And I, I kind of thought, geez, that's really glaring. It's It sits taller than the, than the cars. It's right up right next to the sidewalk up next to the street um, where there's no, you know, there's no easement between the sidewalk and the street. And so I, I I started driving down Mount Elliott occasionally a couple other times during the winter and kept seeing it. And finally, in May, I just decided to pull over and take a picture of it, and I put it on Twitter, and I basically said, I'm coming back to this thing in a month, and if it's still here, and I'm writing about it. <laughs> uh, and um, and about 40 days later, I came back, and it was, sure enough, uh, it was still there. Mm-hmm. And so so I, I, um, I'd I already been kind of digging around about commercial blight, because um I had talked to the mayor about it uh, up at the Mackinac conference, and he had said, "Well, we're we're going to be doubling our um, our 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 blight um, uh, of removal of commercial buildings from 150 a year to to 300." So I pulled the data, and sure enough, they haven't really been doing 150 a year. They did it one year in 2015. And then in the last 18 months, uh, they've done, um, 83 uh, buildings have been removed. So they've significantly slowed down, and so then I started inquiring about that and and they come to find out, because of the of the of the scrutiny that the that the residential program has faced from the federal government, they they uh, change some of the contracting procedures so that all these have to go through the financial review commission and city council, and it just it just slows the process uh, for these removals. And it it kind of it's pretty apparent it hasn't been as top of a priority. Um, but they say they've got the you know, the contracts in the place to to try to get back to that 150 this year, yeah. uh, but they're going to have to really speed up. But meanwhile, this this pile of rubble on on Mount Elliott Street is still there. Um, I, in fact, I just drove by this morning to check to make sure. I've been kind of monitoring it, um, uh, and and it, what it, I actually looked into. Every one of these buildings has a story. Uh, there was a business there. I actually thought it was a house, uh, and but I w- and I went and looked on Google Google Maps, and sure enough, you can find some images, and it was a party store called Motor City Party Store, mm-hmm. and um, so I just started searching the business records of it and the property records, and I actually ran down the the guy who last owned it uh, before it fell into foreclosure, and I found him, and he's a he's a man who owns a pharmacy in Hamtramck, and. Um, by the name of Noman Nagy. and uh, Mr. Nagy told me that basically he bought the ha- the place a couple of years ago, and was trying to renovate it. And it's a similar story. He kept it kept getting break-ins, and and vandals were taking every piece of precious metal and ripping out the place. and And uh, eventually, he um, decided to walk away from it, mm-hmm. and uh, and it fell into foreclosure. And then someone broke into it last last September and burned it uh, to the ground. And so, um, and what's more interesting and sort of you have to sort of ask the question why is this acceptable someone whether it's at the city or um or a private privately has, has actually had to like um, take a take, go in there with a with a uh, front end loader, and and consolidate this pile <laughs> of rubble. Mm-hmm. But they never cleaned it up, and 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 so it's been largely forgotten. And like a lot of places, and so I just kind of use this as an example of of just how you know systemic this is. Yeah, uh,
0: and the fact that these buildings are sitting empty uh, is a sign of the city's commercial decline, similar to the sign of residential decline, but it creates a different kind of dynamic, I feel like. Uh, I feel like the commercial corridors in the city look and feel very different from the neighborhoods. And the challenge in dealing with them is different because oftentimes these are... Businesses that had toxic chemicals uh, at, at, as part of their business, or even if they weren't toxic chemicals, uh, they were things like oil or, or um, uh, you know, just the things that you'd use in an in an ordinary, uh, ordinary business. Um, that makes this all very much harder to deal with. Yep. I feel like from the city standpoint. Yeah, there,
1: there's different. There's more asbestos in uh, abatement that that's required. I mean, the the price of taking down. A commercial property is is pretty expensive it's almost it's almost at least double and you know we talk about then a house and 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 the, and the the it just depends on the size I mean a lot of the commercial uh properties of the city has been taking down our old schools and those those schools always cost well north of a quarter million dollars almost mm-hmm. to take down a a, a five six hundred uh, student school uh, and so that's where that's where a lot of the the money and and there's not a ton of money around sitting around at city hall for these for these commercial projects because it's not the same. Pipeline of, of funds from the federal government, so it has to come out of the city budget, basically, um, and so yeah, those those are that's one of the challenges there as well, and uh, and then at the same time, it's also contractor capacity. Uh, our contractors that are taking down uh, you know hundreds of houses um, uh, each month are are really kind of stretched to the max. I'm told, I and, and, and you just think about the demolition work involved. Just down the street from this from this site, I stopped yesterday on my on my one of my uh, checks, mm-hmm. and. Uh, there was a house uh, nineteen hundred uh, built in nineteen hundred on Mount Elliot um By uh, by Garfield uh, and um, and um, and and it was being uh, uh, there was a a crew out there taking off the 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 old shingles on the side of the house that someone had put on. Um, The abatement on that house was going to be more than actually the cost of of demolishing it. It was going to cost twenty eight thousand dollars. So the mayor got a lot of uh, you know scrutiny and grief over houses exceeding twenty five thousand dollars. But when you got to take Two thousand square feet of shingles off the side of a house, and six thousand square feet of plaster out yeah. of a house before you actually hit, you know, uh, demolish it. There's a lot of work, and th- and that's that's typical of the commercial properties. They've got a lot more concrete and and all kinds of of uh, you know toxic chem uh, of uh, toxic uh, adhesives that were used in the early 20th century to build them.
0: Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Chad Livengood. He's a reporter with Crane's Detroit Business, has written a story about commercial blight in the city of Detroit. We talk a lot about blight here in Detroit and what it does to our neighborhoods. Typically, we're talking about residential blight, empty houses that dot uh, the various neighborhoods around the city, Uh, but think about the commercial corridors that we have here in Detroit and how empty they are, how empty the buildings are along those corridors. Uh, The city faces a different kind of challenge eliminating that blight. Uh, Give us a call if you want to join the conversation. Uh, Talk to us about The areas of Detroit that you either live or maybe work in, the blight that you see along these commercial corridors, the questions you might have about when the city might get to those things. Uh, What are the things that you think we might do to try to deal with commercial blight uh, and the special challenges that it poses? Also, what do you think about the business climate in Detroit sort of coming back? Is it going to, on its own, sort of uh, attack these empty spaces will they get reused? Will they get demolished by private interests and and rebuilt again? Three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number. That's three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit today. And we'll work your comments uh, into the conversation. You know, I'm I'm curious, uh, Chad. What reason the city uh, gave you for not being able to keep up that pace, uh, and and why um, why that might be different uh, in the future? Is it just is it just a cash? issue or is there is there other stuff at play
1: here Well back in in 2016 they were they were they said that they slowed down because they were, they were re rehaul overhauling the the contracting procedures uh, for everything in demolition and adding a lot more um, scrutiny in the system and how and, and the billing system because of the scrutiny they were getting uh from auditors and from and uh, from the federal the government the, yeah, yeah and so so they th- th- I think that that caused a pause in the system obviously last summer they had two months where the the housing demolition program was suspended, um, so there was there was a couple of those kind of hiccups. Also, some changeover in and in, in uh, at the Detroit Building Authority and who was who was in charge. And so those kind of employee personnel changes always slow down programs. Um, and and I, I this guy you kind of gather that it's not as much of a priority now. This property they they told me they were going to look into trying to get an emergency demolition after I brought it to the city's attention though. I know, actually, when I tweeted about it back in May, a city official um, uh, contacted me, and I'll, I'll protect this person, and, and said they, that this person had, had filed a complaint with, through the um, um, through the city's own complaint app, um, and and so I know that they had been brought to the city's uh, building department's attention in late May, and and so, but you know, the, the responsiveness—I'll let the city, uh, you know, sort of, you know, have to answer for that. Um, uh, but there's there's plenty of these properties. I mean, you just like you said, you just drive the corridors. I drive Gratiot Avenue every day and back and forth from home, and and there I can count about 20 um, um, buildings that are unsecured, equally as dangerous as any house, and they're probably more walked by by passerby um, and by residents. Uh, and and so yeah, there's there's a lot of dangers in these buildings and. Um, so you know, when they did the blight uh, survey back in 2013, 2014, the Motor City Mapping Project, they found 5,400 commercial buildings um, considered blight, blighted in some fashion. Mm-hmm. Now some of them, are, some of them are totally uh, salvageable, and some have been put back to work. The, the Motor City Match Program for small businesses has been uh, you know, you, um, you link, linking people up with these. Um, uh these foreclosed or, or vacant properties and and they've and there are you know but there's only um, you know maybe dozens of businesses that have kind of taken advantage of that it just still pales in comparison to the sheer volume of, of of commercial real estate that's still sitting out there and this doesn't even count industrial uh when you would just look at some of the hulking old um factories uh that um that are that sit vacant th- that's that's even That's even more expensive, and and there's almost no uh, demolition being done by the government. Um, uh, I know of one recent example, the the old Bud Wheel plant off of uh, Mack Avenue uh, that the the Maroon family's companies uh, imploded Uh a a couple weeks ago. Um, That was for a a specific project to expand a, a logistics hub for Jefferson North. That is, that is the exception. There's, there's just almost no
0: commercial demolition going on. Yeah. Again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Uh, also go to the WDET Facebook page. Put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Paul and Pontiac, you're up first. Welcome to Detroit Today.
2: Yes, good morning. Hi, Paul. Um, so going right to the point that he was just uh, speaking about, Why do you think that it is that when it comes to the difference between residential-owned blight versus commercial-owned blight, it seems they're all over the residential stuff and like, oh, no, that's got to go now. But the commercial stuff sets for decades and doesn't get touched. And it seems to me that they should be able to impose some kind of a penalty on that property owner to make it more expensive for them to do nothing. And to go ahead and either fix the property and use it, sell it, or demo it.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, Paul. Great, uh, great question. Great comment, uh, Chad. Go ahead and uh, address what he's said.
1: I'm aware about. that the city has made some attempts in in the last year or so to go to court and try to to take on pro- private property owners because of that 5,400. Uh, the blight survey found that 83% of them were privately owned. Now, uh, surely there's probably been some of them have fallen into foreclosure and, and into the hands of the Wayne County Treasurer and the land bank in the last uh, couple of years. But, um, I mean, there, the, it, that would be probably one area where the city could maybe get a little more aggressive and, um, and start taking more private uh, landowners to, to court uh, to force them to pay for the demolition of the building that they're probably never going to renovate, especially if they're just a speculator and they're sitting on it. And and, and it's untold, I mean, just like the residential uh, neighborhoods, uh, it's untold how many of these buildings are owned by out-of-state, out-of-country mm-hmm. investors. Um, and I mean, that's, that's a that's a big problem with residential uh, homes. I just recently toured a, um, a, a home with a Belgian man who uh, owned owned a house on Web Street that was in uh, total disarray and, and, uh, and will probably end up uh, having to be torn down at taxpayer expense.
0: Wow. Yeah. Uh, Paul, again, thanks very much for the call and for the question. Let's go to Tracy in downtown Detroit. Tracy, welcome to Detroit today.
2: Hello. Hey. Hello, Steven. Uh, I'm a longtime listener and a big fan. Oh, thank you. Uh, I am a former principal uh, from Denby High School on the east side of Detroit. I've lived in Detroit all my life. Mm -hmm. And... Over my years, I could see that the businesses and factories and everything that were department stores in our city uh, became vacant long before people started to leave. Hmm. And it, the, the vacant uh, businesses on Gratiot, for instance, um, made walking to school or taking the bus an obstacle course for my students.
0: Sure, sure.
2: And they often were victimized by adults not just kids but by adults trying to get to school every day. How in the world, if you can give me a history lesson, any information <laughs> on how the state or federal government who should provide our life, liberty and safety, allow that to happen. Right, well, yeah. That's not the neighborhood's responsibility. How did the state and federal government allow people to vacate their businesses? Yeah. with no kind of reprisal, uh,
0: Tracy. It's a great. It's a great question. Uh, I, I can take a, a short stab at that. Uh, actually, property management and and ownership and taxation is a pretty local issue, uh, and and the city is responsible for trying to hold property owners responsible for. You know, there are compliance to codes and and things like that. I, what I what I what I believe happened in the city of Detroit was that the exodus uh, happened quickly and it happened in large numbers, and the city was unable to keep up with with all of those things. I think it's not different, for instance, from the exodus from the neighborhoods uh, where you saw people just leave houses behind. The city was unable to keep up with the outflow of people, with the new inventory of abandoned houses. Uh, and, and so we end up in the situation we're in. I, I think you raise a good question, though, about what the state and federal government can help do about these things. Chad, uh, the federal government is helping us tear down a lot of residential uh, blighted uh, properties. How much? How much help is there for this commercial issue at the state or, or federal level?
1: These the the hardest hit funds are are just for residential. That's just for for residents. Yeah. So I mean, like I said, they, this has to come out of the the city's budget. Um, and uh, I mean, the city's budget is better. I mean, we're we're actually talking here our four year on uh, the four year anniversary of the city filing for bankruptcy. It's a lot better than it was four years ago, but the city still doesn't have a lot of extra cash sitting around. And when these uh, properties are costing fifty thousand uh, dollars, roughly average, to tear down, um, th- you know that that money can go fast. I mean, just that that lo- mo- the most recent one in, in mid June, there was a um, uh, Dixon Elementary School over on the west side uh, on Tireman Avenue. It cost four hundred eighteen thousand dollars to tear that school down, wow. uh, and and and. You know, Detroit, Detroit public schools doesn't have the money to pay to tear down its old schools, so they just get reverted to the land bank, and then pay, and then they become you know a big huge uh, problem for the city, um,
0: and they're la- they're the last ones left to um, to handle it. Yeah, uh, Tracy, thanks very much for the call and the questions. We appreciate that. Uh, let's go to Bill in Detroit. Bill, welcome to Detroit today.
3: Hey, Stephen, how hey. are you? I'm good. How are you? I am uh, good. Just wanted to, uh, we we are not the the lone wolf in this uh, little exercise here in Detroit, but we purchased the Cadillac stamping plan about three years ago. And through uh, situations uh, uncontrollable by us, we were delayed in getting started, but we are selectively going to demo interior, exterior of portions of the exterior Uh of the Cadillac stamping plant, which is about a 1,200,000 square feet on 25 acres. And then we are going to systematically insert about eight different businesses in there and ultimately have about 3,000 Detroiters, hopefully. We can find them through the skill situation or lack of skill situation, but we're going to have training programs for all the skilled labor. Uh-huh. Um, so I just wanted to say that uh, there so, is some uh, ray of sunshine. I think there's a <laughs> lot of rays of sunshine in Detroit right now, but that's one of them on the yeah. east side that so, yeah, I we do hear a the, lot about.
0: You're talking about the Cadillac stamping plant that's over on Connor. Is that right? Are you
3: Finn still there? Harper there.
0: What's that? Say that. I'm sorry, Bill.
3: Connor, Connor in between Rashid and yeah, Harper. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, I I remembered. I remember that plant. Uh, it's been a long time since I thought about it. Uh, and and talk about talk about the expense of that that kind of demo, and and compare it. I don't know if you have experience with residential demo, but try to try to compare the two. Doesn't
3: um, want. It's it's a it's a ugly black hole it was built by albert Kahn and his brother julius back in the days when they were just starting to embark on uh reinforced concrete so this thing is built incredibly well and unlike the packard which you may or may not remember back about four years ago i was going to buy that and revitalize that um but Investor greed got in the way of that, and ultimately <laughs> Fernando got it, which not much has been done over there, unfortunately. But the building is, is just incredibly well put together, so there there's not a lot of quote-unquote uh, structural demo going on. It's a lot of selective building systems taking out old fire suppression and all the stuff that needs to be replaced, which our pro forma right now is somewhere in the 85 to $90 million right. uh, area.
0: Yeah,
3: yeah. Uh, But we have um, a number of different businesses going in there from uh, Detroit Precast to a fish farm Mm. called Closed Containment Fish Farming, Uh, some technology that is coming from Germany that essentially turns human waste into drinking water, Mm. Um, and a whole host. We're talking about putting a major film studio in there called Detroit Film Studios, and we're talking to a number of people uh, about that now. So it's uh, it's going
0: to be pretty exciting. Yeah. Uh, well, good luck with that, Bill. And obviously, we appreciate uh, your attention to the issue, trying to make it better, not worse. Uh, and I, I absolutely appreciate the call. I, th- I feel Chad like uh, you know there, these fall into different categories, but one of them is these sort of behemoth old factories and schools and and things around town that that really just blow your mind in terms of. The cost of trying to deal with them. I mean, it, yeah. it's unimaginable.
1: Yeah, I mean, people ask why they never blew up the uh, just just implode the um, uh, the Packard Building, and that's because the way that the Julius Kahn designed what's known as the Kahn Bar, uh, as the, as the gentleman was just saying, the the columns in those things is twisted uh, uh, rebar uh, reinforced in concrete that is as strong as anything, and and it's just not feasible to blow it up. You can up.
0: blow it up three or four times. and It, it may it's still not work. Yeah, and
1: it'll just be a bang mess and it would take years to just and and what do you do with all that concrete i mean you're just going to start filling landfills out in western wayne county if you with those with that stuff so um the the and they're and they're also just the way that you know the adhesives and 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 the toxins that were built into the and used uh for 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 construction back in those days of removing that is 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 a massive project uh uh, because they're very very harmful and cause cancer and such. So uh so yeah, it's 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 a it's a big a big big deal. I mean, the, the one little party store I wrote about is just a, you know, 1500 square foot party store on a corner. Uh there's lots of them uh that um you know, they're probably the easier they're much easier to do um than than to try to figure out how to either take down or reinvent um, you know, these big huge old factories. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Again, Bill, thanks very much for the call. Let's take another call here. Harry in Sterling Heights, welcome to Detroit Today.
3: Great show. Good. uh, Always look to you guys. Frequent caller. Thank you. There is a building on the northwest corner of I-94 and I-75. I believe it's the old GM Turnstead building. It's graffiti-filled. It's dilapidated. It's in bad shape. But I remember that corner. There used to be the Goodyear uh, sign... That indicated how many cars, how many were cars in the United yeah. States. <laughs>
0: uh, I remember that when I was a kid here. They had it in
3: <laughs> several locations. That's, I only remember that corner. But what's the status of that building? That's been vacant for years.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, great uh, great question, uh, Chad. I, I don't know the status of that building. I don't know either. It's sitting I mean, there, It is a mess. Th- um, yeah, yeah
1: there's, and there's a couple at that whole intersection. I mean, it's, that's more... Um, a place everyone sees up up close and, and personally, so that that's that's a big challenge. Uh, as we say, that those those are and there's really at this time there's really no plan for those uh, type of. Uh, I mean, they're working on the residential, try to to you know, first to really kind of reestablish neighborhoods, stabilize them, get that one bad house off the block, so to speak, uh, or or clear out blocks and try to make land. Um, available. I mean, that's that's a, another big challenge Detroit has. Is, is it, even with all the vacant lots and all the vacant houses, we don't have uh, like contiguous large tracts of land to to attract a a, a new huge um, you know, auto plant or or some other type of large business. Uh, I mean, the, the most recent one was uh, this Flexingate plant being built up at the I ninety four industrial uh, um, uh, park, just kind of north of there, ninety four and seventy five. Um, And that was only because of years of of assembling land that they were able to pull that off. Um, But they're pretty much running out of that now.
0: Yeah. Okay, Chad Livengood, reporter with Cranes Detroit Business. Thank you for being here on Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Up next, we're going to try to put the latest news regarding Trump and Russia into context with Wayne State History Professor Aaron Radish. Stay with us on Detroit Today.